Good to be back. Thank you all for letting Melissa and I go to Cambodia last weekend uh, to visit Dan and Linda Reeves. They send their greetings. Linda's doing well, and we'll talk a bit more about what's going on with her as the service pre- uh, continues. But uh, I would like to uh, invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. I'm a little tongue-tied today. I'm trying to remember too many things at once. We're going to be reading verses 20 through 30 of Matthew chapter 11. And many of us, like we heard this morning, are very aware of the last couple verses of this text. But we don't often read what comes before that. And if we do read, uh, we will usually have one of two reactions. We don't like it or we just try to get by it. But I think it's important for us to read the the whole unit uh, and read Jesus' words carefully. Would you follow along? I don't have the words on the screen this morning, so if you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back, or you can just choose to listen, and I promise I'll read as slowly as I know how to talk, which is difficult at times. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that, had, that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it would be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would, have been re- it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When I think about the world, I am heavy burdened today. I don't know if you've seen the newspaper this morning or listened to any news article in anywhere in the world. But you know that 27 people were stabbed and knifed down this morning in Kunming. Uh, And that's just a horrible thing. And we have many missionary partners there. Uh, One of them is with us this morning. Uh, And there are many others that we know of. We think of Russia. We have the Christian and Missionary Alliance has multiple missionaries in Kiev. And we have had to uh, emergency evacuate them because the military is coming in. There are needs. We think of Syria. We think of Myanmar. We think of all of these regions across the world. There is much to think it's too much to bear. But we have a God that says you never have to walk alone. We have a God that says, come to me and I'll give you rest. So before we dive into this message, we're going to pray together. Because the greatest of all of these travesties is that every day, millions of people are dying 
without knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Nothing is worse than that. And we need to be a church that is wholehearted with all of our resources, with all of our energy, that we are passionate about making disciples next door and all over the world. So let's pray together. God, I don't confess to know the reasons for which all of this is happening. I do believe that you are coming back soon. Please come back soon. But in the meantime, Lord, we need you. We need your strength to empower us. I think of those in Kunming. Somehow in this tragedy, Lord, would you be revealed? Would you comfort those in mourning? Would you guide those that are there serving you faithfully as to how they can step in and help and give a reason for the hope that we have in you? I think the same of of Russia and the Ukraine. I don't understand the depth of the divide and what might be coming out of this or the same in Thailand or the same in many other regions. But God, in all of these political situations, we know there is one true king, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And I pray that somehow in each one of these situations, you would be exalted, that your name would be praised above all else. Lord, mobilize us here at AIC. Last week we heard of the tremendous joy of counting the cost of discipleship. That might mean stepping out in great faith and saying, here I am, send me, because our world so desperately needs people to go make disciples. May we not be afraid to do that. Lord, it might be that at this time we need to be a church that gives sacrificially for the sake of your kingdom work here and abroad. May we not be afraid to give sacrificially. In the same way, may our church use those resources for your glory as good stewards of that which you've given us. And Lord, as individuals, give us opportunities to walk through life hand in hand with others that we may make disciples here in Hong Kong and all over the world. God, we may be weary. We may be heavy burdened. But I ask that you would help us to rest in you. In your holy name I pray. Amen. Well, last weekend I got the privilege with my wife of going to Phnom Penh, Cambodia. I didn't know what to expect. The stories I knew of Cambodia came from a very dark place in my family history. Uh, You've heard me share a little bit, but many of you may not know that my uncle uh, during the Vietnam War was flying a Yui, which is a fancy name for a helicopter, and got shot down along with his whole crew and was a prisoner of war somewhere in that region of the world between Vietnam and Cambodia. And he was a prisoner of war for over five years. So when we speak of that part of the world in the Rose family, it comes with a heavy heart. In the 36 years I've known my uncle, I've heard him speak of Vietnam or Cambodia twice. And one of those happened last year at the death of his mother, uh, my grandmother. And so when we went, I knew that there was this baggage in my own life that I hadn't fully understood. I was not yet born when he'd been shot down, but it had a marked impact on my family. In fact, my dad didn't even mention much of my visiting Cambodia because it still brings back tremendous discouragement and yet great celebration to him because my uncle is alive and well and following the Lord. And three years ago, he went back to Cambodia and to Vietnam to visit. 
and to make peace. And you know why he was there? He was on a missions trip to make disciples of all nations. At some point in his life, he came face to face with the tremendous pain, the tremendous suffering, and the tremendous gift of reconciliation that comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he felt there was no greater opportunity to model that than going back to where he had been kept in a one meter square cell for three years straight. When I look at this passage, I think of the time I spent in Cambodia last weekend. Lynn and Dan asked if we wanted to see the killing fields or if we wanted to see the genocide museum. And I honestly had to say, no, I'd rather not. I've read about them. I've heard about them. And that was enough. We don't often like to look at the hard parts that come with a fallen world, do we? I like avoidance. Not going to lie. I would much rather avoid dealing with a difficult thing and hope it goes away than walk into something head on and face it directly. It feels like it's easier that way, doesn't it? Avoidance is often the seemingly path of least, what's the next word? Resistance. Because we feel like if we avoid something long enough, hopefully it will just go away. That's the goal, is it not? Now, those of you that have been married for any length of time, maybe not the first year. The first year is great. But then after that, reality sets in and you begin to realize that conflict will come. And for a while, you may try the avoidance method, correct? And over time, you might discover that that avoidance technique doesn't actually work because it doesn't go away. It actually just gets bigger. And it comes back later on as a bigger thing. This past week at the marriage course, we were dealing with the issue of communication. And one of the joys of investigating the marriage course is when you get to that point in your marriage, when you realize that you've thought for so long about you and what you want that you've forgotten that maybe, and maybe this applies more to men because women wouldn't certainly be like this, but maybe... All you needed to say was three words. I was wrong. But we don't like to say those three words, do we? No, everybody's very quiet right now. No, I'll say it for you. I was wrong. We find ourselves today in a text that makes us look at the intersection of our Lord Jesus Christ as a judge. And we don't like that makes us uncomfortable to be judged. It's very common today to hear any number of people say, don't judge me. You go worry about yourself. My choices are my own. Or don't judge my actions. In the New York Times not so long ago, there was an article about promiscuity of all things, sexual infidelity outside of marriage. And it was looking at how people have chosen, especially in very, very successful undergraduate institutions in the States, think Ivy League, how the new pattern isn't to date seriously, it's just to have what are called one-night stands. And the reason for that is then there's no emotional entanglement. Uh, But when they were interviewing people about this story, the common phrase was, I'm fully responsible for my own actions and I'm not embarrassed by them. Okay, well, that's fine. You've chosen that path. But please don't tell anyone because I don't want to be judged for my actions. I want to be judged for my performance as a good leader, as a good student, etc., etc. What you see there is a wonderful dual, not a wonderful, but a very stark dualism on the world we find ourselves in today. 
I want what I want. Don't you dare judge me for it, but do judge me for the good things, just not the bad. Gets a little confusing, doesn't it? It makes it very hard to raise families to consider this world we live in because constantly we're face to face with people that say, don't judge me, but we want justice. If I talk about the 27 people stabbed this morning in Kunming, I don't think there's a person here that doesn't want justice to be meted out upon those people, correct? We want those people that stabbed them to come to justice. But yet if it's us, if we are convicted, well, that's different. A couple weeks ago, I had a, a horrible thing happen to me. I was driving my kids to school, and on my way to the church afterward, I got stuck next to a van, or a tall bus, actually, and I couldn't exactly see the stoplight. I knew the light was probably about to turn, so I decided to keep going through it. And as I went through that light, I saw it turn red as I was there. And shortly thereafter, I saw a wonderful bright flash of light. (laughs) Now, I couldn't physically see the stoplight next to me when I had gone through. I did not intentionally break the law. Does that make a bit of difference to the government when they send me that wonderful bill that says you owe us money? No, it does not. Because I knowingly chose to take a risk to hold myself accountable and say, I hope for the best that I won't get caught. Now, in the mail on Saturday, I got a wonderful little piece of paper. I got caught. I deserve the punishment that has been meted out for me. But the first reaction, it's not fair. Because the bus was there. The lights should be higher so that you could see over the bus. (laughs) Right? And that makes perfect sense to me. So I could stamp my feet and and go complain and spend money to try to fight this. Or I could understand that I am responsible for my actions. I buzzed through the light. It was my fault. And I will not enjoy, but I will pay the penalty due me. We don't like judgment. But when it goes to other people, we cheer for it. Look at movies today. (laughs) They're all about the little guy getting victory over the big guy. You've seen it time and again. While we were in Cambodia, we got to see these beautiful little kids. And they are so cute. And I want to tell you a little bit about them uh, this morning. This is, this is the Joshua Academy of Phnom Penh. This is one of the schools that Linda Reeves is working with uh, daily. This is actually the one she would call her workplace. She rides a tuk-tuk. If you've seen Melissa's Facebook, you've seen some of these pictures already. If not, find her as your friend and you'll see more. Um, But each morning, these kids come to school. Most of their parents are migrant workers. They're from the provinces of Cambodia. They come into Phnom Penh hoping for a better life and end up working at these factories for little to no money. The poverty line is someone has to make $1.50 US a day. If they're under that, they're in poverty. And the average salary of a worker at these factories is $1.30 per day US. To put that in perspective, that's roughly $10 Hong Kong, not even, it's nine point something dollars a day. And that is where Linda is serving right now. So she rides the tuk-tuk every day. And she sits and she spends time with these kids. Uh, Once every couple of months, she goes up into the provinces and visits two other schools that are even worse off than this one. 
But it was wonderful to see these kids learning how to go to school. They would not have this opportunity to go to a kindergarten except for the help of missions agencies. Uh, Alliance Global Serve, we've partnered uh, to help this school uh, in tremendous ways. Linda is supporting them tremendously. I sat down with the pastor slash principal of the school and I asked how I could pray for him. And he said, we just need support. I'm on my own. And then he looked at me and he said, I'm not on my own. I'm walking with God and God is great and wonderful things are happening. But it can be difficult at times. I got to sit later. Many of you remember Joseph Kio Thoi, uh, who was a Cambodian student at Lutheran Seminary uh, here and lived with us, not with us personally, but lived here in Hong Kong and was an active part of our church, a wonderful man, was involved in the Shatin community group. Well, I got to visit with him on Saturday of our visit. And the man, let me tell you what he's doing right now. He is currently planting two churches, plus a university fellowship, plus participating in prison ministry, leading funerals uh, to a Buddhist family that the patriarch had just come to Jesus. That was last week. Uh, He's also, I believe today, baptizing eight or nine people. Uh, He is currently involved in evangelism in every setting he can find. And he's also investing wherever he can in raising up other pastors to spread the gospel all over Cambodia because he is passionate about seeing his broken nation come to know Jesus Christ. I thought I was busy. And so I looked at Joseph and I said, Joseph, what can we do to help? And he said, it's hard. It gets lonely. I know God is with me, but the need is great here for encouragement. And that brings me back to these children. We got to watch a K-3 class. K-3, remember those are five-year-olds, which if you think about it in in personal terms, the age of my son. Um, And we got to watch and there was one kid, I don't know his name, but as we were there, this one boy kept getting himself in trouble. And here's how it played out. They were having their free play time, which is a new concept to me, I guess, where they could each pick a different station or a different puzzle or toy to play with, and they could do it. But this one kid had a little extra energy than all the others combined. And so he would just run around with this little bus that he was was pushing and knock other kids over, mess up their projects, and just be going crazy. And gently, the teacher, who was a young man, would come over, would grab him, would sit him down for a second, would remind him of the right way to go and the right way to act in a school, and then send him off in his way. And for about two minutes, things would go well again. And then all of a sudden, the pattern would repeat itself. And you know what the man would do, the teacher? He would grab the boy again. He would sit with him, and he would point him in the right way, remind him how to do it right. And then he would send him off. And this pattern continued. And each time I was so impressed with the teacher that would love this boy so much, understanding there's probably far more to the story than we know. And he kept pointing the boy in the right direction while still lovingly correcting him and reminding him that his actions have consequences. When you look at it like that, we like the concept of judgment, do we not? The teacher would have been neglectful if he let that kid get away with everything, correct? What kind of teacher would he be? We expect people to act in a certain way that holds each other accountable. 
that we are held accountable. But we don't always like to think of that. That's where we find ourselves in the passage before us today. Because Jesus looks out at the areas where he has participated in ministry. And he says this, you Capernaum, will you be lifted up? No, you'll go down to the depths. You will be judged. If the miracles performed here had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. And we don't like thinking about that because we know if we've grown up in the church at all, we remember who Sodom was. Sodom was the land of sodomy, was the land of sexual impropriety like nothing the world had ever experienced. And we don't even like talking about it today. It makes us uncomfortable. Interestingly enough, when we look further... And when we think about Jesus saying, if even Sodom had seen these miracles, it would have remained to this day. We have to think about the judgment Jesus was talking about. Most of us remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah from Genesis. But if you flip over in your Bibles to Ezekiel, you find out that that wasn't the only reason for which Sodom was judged. You see, there was more to the story. There was more to being held accountable. As I live, declares the Lord God, your sister Sodom and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease. But they did not aid the poor and needy. So they were haughty and did an abomination before me. Did you hear that? Not only was Sodom, a land of great sexual sin, of great disobedience to the Lord. But they were judged for their actions or actually lack of action toward the poor, to the least of these. And so we flip forward in our Bibles and we come to this passage where Jesus says, I tell you it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. You had me right in front of you. The Son of God is right here. And you have chosen to say, Jesus, don't judge me. Don't bother me. But yet when we think about this concept of accountability, who would we rather have as judge over us? I was in the land of Cambodia last weekend. Does anybody know anything about the government of Cambodia? It is not, in the general sense, a particularly successful government. They write off $1.5 billion of their budget every year because that's where it goes to what we call greasing the wheels, bribery, corruption, paying people off, murdering those that disagree with their way of thought, with their way of behavior. And the money that is given from all over the world to aid the recovery from the Khmer Rouge when millions of people were killed for the sake of rebuilding this country, that money is instead kept in corrupt hands. And so you see a stark difference in the land of Cambodia between the haves and the have-nots. Dan Reeves, Linda's husband, one of the smartest guys I know, and certainly when it comes to politics, said it's nothing more than a glorified meritocracy. Whoever's got the most keeps it and lets everybody else suffer. When we look at the story here, that's exactly what was happening. 
Those that had the most were keeping it for themselves and had forgotten the true message of God. And often even worse, that the religious leaders of the day would then hold that over the other people. They would hold it like a heavy yoke. And if you don't know what a yoke is, basically if you used oxen to till your field, I know most of us aren't farmers anymore. Hong Kong doesn't have a lot of farmland. It does have some. And if we, if we quit buying chickens from uh, the mainland, we will get more farms apparently. But in the olden days, before there were fancy electric devices and motorized Uh, plows, you would strap a big yoke, a big wooden structure between a couple of oxen. And it would fit in such a way that they couldn't get out and could only move forward together. And it was a heavy, heavy burden on any oxen. And what was happening was legalism had begun to infect the people of God, the Jews of the day. Legalism is a fancy way of saying there is something more than the way of love, and that is the way of the rules. Now, is the law good? Yes. That's what I've spent this entire message trying to get us to see. God is good. Do you agree with that? Good. Praise the Lord. We're with me so far. Two, God's law was given for our benefit, correct? To bring us back to him. And it was done so in love. Read this and you can't miss that point. When Jesus radically transforms the Jews' understanding of the law, he does so in two statements. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. We've often attributed that to Jesus. He was repeating the words of the Old Testament. God was no less a God of love in the Old Testament than he is by giving himself through Jesus Christ on our behalf. However, God's law is made complete through the person of Jesus Christ. And so when the the Jewish leaders of the day got a hold of the law, they forgot about the love and their yoke upon the people had become so burdensome that not even the leaders themselves were carrying it well. Much like Eric trying to lift those massively strong dumbbells, which I am impressed with your muscles. Well done. But no one could lift up the weight of religion of the day. Instead, they were caught up in falling short of the rules. Rules are so important but they are only important in the context of the judge that is handing them out. And that's where we begin to get confused today is we begin to want to say, don't judge me or it's not fair. And we take control and we say, I'll judge myself. I will do this. And when that happens, there is only one type of judgment any of us deserve. Romans tells us there is no one righteous, no, not one. No matter how good we are on our own behalf, we cannot be good enough. It just won't happen. We need help. We need an advocate. Next week, we're going to continue this and we're going to look at the the next point when Jesus says, come to me. 
But today I want us to look at this advocate because you see what he says next is very powerful. And it can get a little confusing. When we look at our advocate, he prays, all things have been committed to me by my father. Okay, so everything has been given from the father to the son. That's good. If we say God is good, we want him as the ultimate judge. As hard as that can be to understand sometimes, we would rather have a good judge than a corrupt one, correct? We don't often like to think about judgment, but if we think about it and follow it true, we want the best, most righteous, holy person to be our judge. There is none holier than God. So if all things have been committed to me by my father, no one knows the son except the father. And no one knows the father except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Interestingly here, we find out that there is only one way to get to the father, to the righteous judgment that comes. It is a choice between going through Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. Or to say, I got this. I'm good enough on my own. I don't think I can live that way. It is wrong. It is judgmental. It is harsh and unfair. For instance, marriage is talked about consistently in our world today, whether it be homosexual marriage, whether it be infidelity that should just be washed under the, uh, under the covers, whatever it is, marriage is a hot topic today, correct? And most of us often will give a response, well, that's their life. They can choose to do what they want, correct? That is the common response today. Let everyone have the freedom to make their own choice. That feels great right up until it's your partner that cheats or walks out on you. Then tell me that. Then tell me you want that, them to have that freedom. Because in that moment, you're not thinking, well, you know, they made that choice, good for them. You're thinking they made a promise to me, to be faithful to me. And I don't care that they made a choice. It still hurts and I want them to pay for it, correct? Correct. That is typically the response of the person being hurt. But we can't fix that on our own. We've said we want to be judge of our own lives. And time and again, our world has proven that in doing so, we just make things worse. We need help. Well, praise the Lord. Help has been given. If you brought your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to 1 John chapter 2. a great little passage and I want us to remember this today because it's the heart of the gospel message Jesus explained it time and again and John his dearly beloved reminds us of this he says my dear children I write this to you so you will not sin obviously we know sin brings judgment but if anybody does sin We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Many of your translations will say an advocate there. One who goes on our behalf. And that is Jesus Christ. Notice what comes next. The righteous one. 
He doesn't say he goes and defends our case of how righteous we are because we're not. He is. He is the atoning sacrifice that makes us able to be one with God for our sins and not only for ours, but also, also for the sins of the whole world. Ladies and gentlemen, I know we don't often want to look at verses 20 through 25 of Matthew chapter 11 because we realize that many of the sins committed then we continue today. But we need God to be our judge. We need Jesus Christ to judge this world because without judgment, without the goodness of God that penalizes wrongdoing, we cannot understand and experience the greatness of grace. Because you see, when we understand that our good judge has provided a way out, that all may stand under it, and that is through Jesus Christ, we realize he gave the greatest gift of all. He let his son take the judgment on our behalf. You want to talk about a good judge? Think about that. Getting out of his seat and sending his son down to a wicked, horrid, putrid people that continue to disobey, that weigh such heavy burdens upon each other that they can't experience and see the love of God. And as we'll see next week, he gives an invitation for all. He says, I'll pay that. That speeding ticket, that traffic light you buzzed, the horrible injustice of Kunming, the horrible, horrible injustice of the Khmer Rouge, the horrible injustice of knowing children die today without food, clothing, shelter, or the love of Christ. God invites every one of us and every one of them into a relationship with him that is only through his son, Jesus. And then he tells us, go overcome the world. Go save the world. The end of 1 John tells us just that. He who overcomes the world is he who is in Christ, abiding in him. Let's pray. Lord, it is hard to think of your goodness through judgment. Yet it is who you are and you love us so much that not only do you judge but you provide a way out through your son, Jesus Christ, that we may stand up under it. You gave Jesus as our advocate, his righteousness for us as we worshiped through communion just a little bit ago. Lord, today, I ask that we would rest in you, that we would understand that you are the judge. We don't have to worry about it, that those things other people do, we can rest in you knowing that our actions will be held accountable. And for those in Christ, we know that our sins have been washed away. If we don't know you, Lord, make today that day. Help us to repent. The one thing that Chorazin wouldn't do, that Capernaum wouldn't do, make us a people that repent and believe in your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.